Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks on Sunday, the 20th of March, 2011. This is episode 754. Enjoy. Well, hey, 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 how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about tech. That means computers, the internet, sure. Cell phones, yeah. Camcorders, of course. Digital photography, you bet. Home theater, of course. We've got Scott Wilkinson coming up at about uh, 33 after the hour to talk home theater. Chris Marquardt to talk photography. It's all coming up. On the Tech Guy Show, I am Leo Laporte, and I will take your calls. Of course, that's really the heart and soul of this show is us conversing about digital technology. The phone number, 8888-ASK-LEO, 888-827-5536. I want to talk today in my morning sermon, my Sunday sermon, about three words. Barrier to entry. I've been thinking about this. Barrier to entry. Thinking about this after having a conversation uh, with a very well-known social media guy and a marketer. His name is Jeremiah Oyang. Uh, and I was talking to him as we flew back from South by Southwest, which we're back from Austin, broadcast from Austin last weekend. I think you remember. And uh, South by Southwest is a really wonderful, fun trade show where uh, uh, it's it's mostly uh, new web companies and people who want to be a new web company showing up to show off what they can do, um, showing... Uh, telling others how to do it, that kind of thing. And traditionally at um, these events, uh, at least in the last few years, big companies have broken out for the first time. Best known, of course, Twitter in 2000, uh, I think it was 2007, South by Southwest, spring of 2007, four years ago. Uh, Nobody had ever heard of Twitter. Uh, And somehow, uh, magically, um. Everybody at South by Southwest discovered it at the same time and started using it at the same time, and Twitter became huge. Well, you know, the rest is history. Twitter is, you know, is, is like Facebook. It's an institution, not only in this country, but around the world. During the uh, earthquake and tsunami in Japan, it was Twitter that uh, not only that many people learned about it, but uh, many people followed it through Twitter. And there are people like um, NPR's Andy Carvin, amazing, uh, who uses, he, he doesn't, if you want to follow him on Twitter, it's fascinating. A-C-A-R-V-I-N. Even if you don't have a Twitter account, it's worth going to twitter.com slash A-C-A-R-V-I-N. It started, I think, in Tunisia. He, he's a journalist, but he started curating links and information from a lot of sources, including others' tweets, on Twitter, then Egypt, then the quake. He's covering Libya now. And so what happens if you follow his feed is you get this great source of uh, wonderful information curated information with some editorial as well on top of it that I think is a, is, a, is a new form of reporting. I mean, it's brand new. 
In 2000, uh, that's, so that's Twitter. So in 2000, uh, was it nine, I think? Uh, Foursquare, which is still kind of an inside geek thing, I think, but uh, it's, a, it's growing very rapidly. I think they had four million new users last year. It's, a, it's one of those check-in things where you, you go and you say, I'm here. <laughs> I use it, but and a lot of my friends, my geek friends use it. Uh, then, then the next year it was another a similar service, Gowalla, which was Austin-based. This year, we I was talking with Jeremiah on the plane, and I said, "Well, what did you see? was was there a standout? No. Uh, nobody saw a standout." And I said, "Jeremiah, what happened?" I said, "It seems like, I said to me, it seems like there were so many companies, no one of them could succeed." He said, "Yes. The problem is, the barrier to entry is too low." And I thought, "Well, that's interesting." What is this barrier to entry? Well, the you know the, the in the old days of media, there was a pretty high hurdle you had to jump to become a mogul. You had to have enough money to build a radio station and get a license from the FCC, or you had to have enough money to build a TV station, or you know a record studio, a book publishing empire. There was literally a, a mere handful of people over the last hundred years who controlled media. Absolutely. You know, the William Randolph Hearsts of the world. And they were all uh, oligarchs. They were wealthy plutocrats. They were, <laughs> what other Latin words can I use? They were rich folk who had enough money. They were capitalists to do this. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that there, it, it wasn't like everybody had a shot at this. You know, you had to work your way up. And, it, and I, you know, I certainly was uh, was part of this system. And when I got into radio 30 years, 30 plus, should I really say 35 years ago, uh, I had to talk one of these rich folk into letting me on the air, letting me use his valuable transmitter and FCC license to, to do my work. If you wanted to be a reporter, you had to convince a newspaper publisher who didn't necessarily hold journalism or the news in the highest regard. He had a business. And uh, he knew that he that you were the you were the sausage he was selling, but <laughs> but he didn't much care he didn't much care about the quality of it as long as he could put those display ads in there. That's who run ran our uh, media, and that's who really, in many ways, effectively shaped our national discourse. Uh, what we know about things. It was a very high barrier to entry. Well, it's pretty obvious things have changed, and I hear people complain. Not and not just the old media types. Of course, they don't like it at all. You, the Rupert Murdochs of the world are just shaking their fists in fury. They hate it that everybody can now create a newspaper or, or you know, with a blog or create a television station with YouTube or create a radio station with podcasts. They hate that. And they say, it's all junk. Eh, we, we're the keepers of quality, of editorial quality. No, that's not true. Don't, don't believe it. The barrier to entry is, is effectively almost zero. If you have a computer and access to the Internet, you can do it. So what Jeremiah was saying is it's so easy to create a startup these days. It's almost free that there are so many more startups. It's very, very, very difficult to stand head and shoulders above the rest. Isn't that? That's true. We see that. Uh, I hear people say that all the time. Well, there's too much content. How do we know what's good? How do we know what's good? There's, if there's too much on YouTube. What, how much, what is the latest figure? I'll have to go to YouTube and find out. They published this stat. Last time I saw every minute, 24 hours of videos uploaded to YouTube. Well, that means... Not only can you not watch it all, it's hard to even conceive of it all. And it's only going up. But does that mean that uh, it's just a big 
bunch of noise? No, well, there's a lot of noise, but no, I don't think so, because there's also signal in that noise. There's also value in that noise. And uh, if, you, if you accept the notion that, let's say, like, well, Theodore Sturgeon, sci-fi writer and, uh, and uh, curmudgeon, <laughs> once said that 80% of everything is, he used a stronger word, but I'll just say uh, junk. 80, 80% of everything is junk. So I'll say 90% of everything is junk. Well, that means 10% is not junk, is good. And maybe of that, another uh, 1% of everything is really good. Well, if there's a lot more of everything, that means there's a lot more 10% and 1%. So the question is how it becomes how do you find this stuff? The barrier to entry is low. Anybody who has something to say can do it. You can get a video camera and make a video on YouTube. You can start a blog for free. You can uh, record your own music now. You can do it on the iPad. Yeah, but you still need you know a little bit of an investment in technology. But if you have access to the Internet and a computer or even an inexpensive iPad, you can do it. So everybody has a chance to have a voice. And then the question becomes, well, how do we find the good stuff? And this is, what's, this is where we're starting to make some great strides. And Andy Carvin's a good example. It's something, a word called curation. Andy and others like him will go through, and you find, you find your curators, the ones you like, will go through all this stuff and find the good stuff and let you know. Your friends are curating for you right now. If you're on Facebook, you look at the stuff they link to or they talk about, that's curation. And if you use these tools like Twitter and Facebook properly, you can get an amazingly rich, valuable stream of information. So don't listen to the people who say, oh, the barrier entry is too low. Jo- Jeremiah, to his credit, was not saying it's too low. He just said that's why you don't see a, a winner in South by Southwest. Everybody's involved. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. It means more great stuff. And the only challenge for us is to find it. And that's what we do here. So if you want to join me in that search, you can call in with a great website or a great blog or a video you saw, or you can ask about how to use this technology so you have a voice. That's what we do here. 8888-ASK-LEO is my number. The lines are open. I'm Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the number. Toll free from anywhere in the U.S. of A, 888-827-5536. Outside the U.S., still toll free. Just use Skype out to call that number, and because it's a toll free number, it won't cost you a cent. Bill in Encino, California. Let's get our first call on the air here. Hi, Bill. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi. How are you doing? I'm great. Welcome. Thank you. Um... I've been listening since before you had the show, so <laughs> I've been at it. Ah, yeah, it was Jeff Levy on uh, KFI many yeah, moons ago. I haven't even forgotten his name. Yeah, I started in 2004 when Jeff went to a uh, different station in L.A. Is he still there? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I never knew. <laughs> he, kind of, he kind of disappeared into obscurity. I hate to say it. I don't mean, I don't mean him any ill. I actually uh, was a guest on his show many times. I like Jeff a lot. Great. But, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I didn't really follow what happened after he left. But this has been so much fun. I've been doing this show now for seven years. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting show. I think it's the longest time I've ever held a job. <laughs> like me. <laughs> hey, you know, kids today, I was talking to my uh, my daughter. She's in college. 
And uh, I said, you'll probably, Abby, you'll probably have three or four different careers. She, I said, by the time you're my age, you'll have done many different things. Because she's trying to decide in college, I don't know. I love, I love writing poetry, but I love biochem. And I love, and I'm very interested in politics, and I want to have a master's in public. And she's got all these things that she's very interested in. And I said, don't worry about it. Do the one you like best now, and 10 years you'll be doing something different anyway. That's the modern, that's the modern world now. I've, I'm 70 now, and I've had about a half a dozen careers. See, there you go. I got a new one. I think that's one. great. I, What's your new career? Uh, irrigation design and installation. Now, and I'm still a, a licensed plumber, although I don't like to. You know, pra- not practicing. <laughs> That's what I'm. You know, it, it's interesting because I talked to Maurice Sendak, the great uh, children's book yeah. illustrator. Remember, he did Where the Wild Things Are. Oh. And he had become um, a set designer for opera at the time. And, I, and he said, oh, yeah, you should, change your, you should change your career significantly every 10 years or you'll get stale. And I thought, here's a guy who was probably the most, at the time, successful children's book illustrator of all time. And he said, nah, I'm going to do opera sets. Yeah. Well, that's the way it's been with me. The uh, longest I've been in anything is 15 years, and before that, seven years. So, Isn't that great? Well, then maybe it's time. I'm not moving on. I don't, I don't want <laughs> What can I do for you, Bill? Great. Anyway, I mentioned the underhouse situation. And what I like to do now, since it's a little harder for me to crawl under houses nowadays, is to have someone do it, but I have to be able to see what he's doing down there sometimes. And I'm trying Interesting. to if I can get a somewhat decent webcam, wireless and, and wired, both with light, that I can attach to my PC or desk, uh, PC, Windows, operating right. um, laptop, computer, whatever, and observe what's going on and give instructions and et cetera. It's, <clears throat> I guess you're going to have to bring some light down there. Most of these don't do very well in low light. But he could wear, you know, he could wear just like a little helmet light. Yeah, they almost always have a light with him when they're Sure, up. of course they do. What am I thinking? He's not going down in the dark. <laughs> I'll tell you, my favorite webcam uh, out there, it's wired, though, uh, but my favorite one right now is the Logitech uh, webcams. These are just fantastic uh, and very inexpensive. The um, uh, uh, the C, th- I think it's 310. Let me look at the numbers because they keep changing the numbering scheme. The 310 is 50 bucks. It's high def, um, and it does. Uh, they do. They do really well in, in relatively low light. Although you know, with it, if you've got light down there, low light's not going to be the issue. Um, so that's one I would recommend. But that's wired, and wireless is a little trickier. Uh, let me think about this. You know, we used uh, we've used a number of wireless cameras. Right now, we're using a wireless camera. See, it still needs power though. You'd need wireless with a battery. Right. And the problem is it would only make sense to use it if uh, it also has a light source, which means they have to have a pretty good power supply. I'm sure they make, you know, I mean, they make snakes with cameras on them. Yeah, I used to use those, but those are thousands of dollars for a setup. Right. Yeah, this, I mean, 50 bucks for the 310, and this is a great camera. We actually use it for broadcast. Uh, in fact, I know a lot of people do broadcast. I know. Somebody just made a great suggestion. Yeah. Um, it, it, a, a smartphone. <laughs> what am I thinking? They're wireless. Uh, you could use, for instance, um, an Apple iPhone with FaceTime running. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you could buy cases that have lights. They're not very bright, but they might be bright enough for what you're pointing at. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm going to break down probably in the next few months and get some kind of a smartphone. Yeah, you give them a smartphone, you have an iPad on the other end. Uh, you, uh, now, the problem with that is you'd need Wi-Fi also, so you'd have to get a Wi-Fi. 
uh, Wi-Fi unit that used, you know, uh, you could get a MiFi, the Verizon um, or Sprint MiFi, which is a wireless access point that uses 3G, and then you'd both join that wireless access point. You'd be on the same Wi-Fi network. You could have your iPad at that end, so you get a nice big screen. This is actually a great solution. Instead you of have your iPad at that set. Now, it's, it's a little pricey, but on the other hand, you get a smartphone and you get an iPad, so you probably don't mind spending a little money on that. They do a lot of other things. I'm thinking- there are companies like Axis. We've used the Axis uh, cameras, but they still are wired because, um, like the uh, Perk is telling me in the chat room, the Axis 1054 uses power over Ethernet, but still you're going to have an Ethernet wire. It does have a built-in LED, LED light. Axis makes some really interesting wireless cameras, but at some point you need to give them power. I don't know if they make any battery uh, cameras. Yeah, actually, I prefer wired in the long run. Yeah, I mean, look at if there's a guy down there, you can you can trail a Ethernet cable out behind him. <laughs> right. Right. That's how he finds his way back. It's like breadcrumbs. Just follow the follow the cable. <laughs> you ever lose anybody under there? Uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I would say. Uh, if you're willing to get an iPhone or a similar smartphone, that's a pretty good choice. I think the iPhone has a great camera. It has uh, does have a built-in light, but you could buy cases that would add more light to it, like the Mophie case, which also give it more battery life. And then you have a laptop, or um, you need, but you need, again, you need to set up your own ad hoc wireless uh, network. Um, here is the GE. This is interesting. It's from the chat room, cheap too. The GE. Wait a minute. That's a mock camera. No wonder it's so cheap. It's a fake camera. <laughs> it has a flashing red LED, but doesn't have an actual camera. Designed, thanks, chat room. Designed to look like a component of a working surveillance system. No wonder it's battery operated. There's nothing in there. I'm sure somebody must make battery operated. But I, I think I like this idea of the iPhone, the iPad, and a MiFi. And you'd look very, very fancy. You could use an iPod Touch, too, actually. but And that camera's okay, too. Cheaper. Okay. That's a good That's op- my thought. I, and I'll keep looking in the chat room. Chat room's great, except when they don't read, read the copy too care- carefully. Here's another one. This is from Security. If I want to go, go ahead. With wire, wired one, the Logitech webcam is the one you recommend, something like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the problem with that is the wire is a USB cable, so you only can go about 150 feet. Uh, if, if you're going to go farther, than, and that's pretty far to go crawling under a house. That's but if you, need to go, if you need to go farther, there are Ethernet uh, based cameras from Axis that get their power from the Ethernet cable, and that can go hundreds of feet. Okay, yeah, we uh, I have yet to be in a house where I was. Yeah, that's pretty far. <laughs> Nobody wants to crawl more than 150 feet under a house. I used to do that when I went caving, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, but cavers would be interested in this too. This is a, this would be a good application for cavers. Bill, it's great to talk to you. And- Thanks for calling. Our chat room is uh, is at techguylabs.com if you want to go in there and read their recommendations. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866-2-GET-NET to get DSL Extreme. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy, as always, uh, this time, well, actually, I shouldn't say as always. We, <laughs> we didn't talk to him last week because uh, he had a concert. But anyway, uh, as, as sometimes happens, <laughs> it's, it, in normal course of events happens this time of the, of the day. Uh, it's time to talk to Scott Wilkinson, our uh, home theater guru. He's the editor-in-chief of the Ultimate AV Magazine, ultimateavmag.com, and a contributor to Home Theater Magazine, hometheatermag.com. Hi, Scott. Hey, Leo. How's it going? Happy Purim. Happy Purim to you. Let's get crazy. Get drunk. <laughs> Put on crazy hats. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll be, I'll be insane. I'll be crazy. I'll be wild. I'll just uh, I'll switch the side of the screen that you're on oh boy wild oh, upside down <laughs> where's uh, your twit fez you should put on your fez i do have a happy hat for poor i'll put that on in a second so what uh, so what are we going to talk about in home theater today well we've got so much to talk about as usual um i've been hanging out in the chat room actually um here in the first part of the show and uh got a ton of interesting questions actually somebody wanted to know about uh, wireless surround speakers they had a uh kind of an open open space on one side of their room and uh, didn't want to run a really long cable and uh so i said well there are a bunch of home theater in a box type systems that offer uh rear surrounds that are wireless makes sense because you don't really want to string wires around exactly exactly now he said well i've already got an hdib and he didn't want to spend any money on a wireless extender. And that was the next thing. I, I love these say. questions. I don't want to spend any money. I don't want to change anything. However. Yeah. Now, now you're wearing your twit fez. Yes, I you love see it. that. Yes. That's fantastic. Perfect Those for the good. radio. Yes. <laughs> anyway, there are a ton of wireless extenders and more and more uh, each each day. Almost. I get new press releases almost daily about this. Uh, Aperion makes them. Um uh, well, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but there are a bunch that do. Are they uh, as good? I mean, can you can you send as good a signal wirelessly as you would if it were wired? Well, I would say generally not. Uh, but for the surround channels and in a situation where, you know, you really can't run wires, uh, I think. How much probably, do you give up? I don't know, five, 10 percent, something like that. I'm guessing it's yeah. just a guess. But uh, but yeah, I'm thinking. You're, you're giving up a little bit, possibly, in terms of frequency response, dynamic range. Plus, depending on the frequency that it uses, you might get some interference from other things in the house. Uh, if it uses 2.4 gigahertz, for right. example. Your phone uh, and your microwave. <laughs> your, your microwave and your cordless phone right. will be a, a problem. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh, David Bix, that's the fellow who was asking about this. Uh, wireless extenders are expensive, yes. Um, so and, he doesn't and, want to pay for them. <laughs> Well, that, then his next question is, well, so so I'd have to run a really long wire, and how would that work? Well, that should work fine. It should. Uh, would he want to use maybe Balin's? We've talked. We always talk about. End up. It always ends up getting around to Balin's, <laughs> doesn't it? Around to Balin's. In this case, I don't think so. Okay. Um, and if you're going from the front of the room to the back that's of the room, that's not how, what twenty feet at most, yeah, right? That's yeah, not twenty thirty feet. Yeah. It's it's not going to be a problem. You don't you don't want to use really super skinny wire. You want to have a little. A little copper in there. That's, in order. Some, that's where, you know, uh, for a long time, companies like Monster were making analog wire, speaker wire. That's right. where big gauge speaker wire makes sense. In the yeah. analog realm, it's the digital stuff we mock them 
for because <laughs> digital doesn't really care. But but analog right. cares absolutely. Right, exactly. And that's what he's talking about here, I'm pretty sure. Sure, speaker wire. Speaker wire, exactly. So you want to have a little heft to it. You don't want it just to be super skinny, you know, 22-gauge, 20-gauge wire. You want it to be 16, 14-gauge wire, and it should be fine. It shouldn't. That shouldn't be a problem at all. Good. Um, let's see. Oh, I had a great question uh, the other day about um, uh, somebody had a TV and it had these uh, lines going. Uh, ver- they were horizontal lines going from top to bottom slowly. Ooh, that's not. Oh, you know, like a like like the old days where you're uh, you'd get out of uh, sync and it would exactly. Well, this wasn't that. I I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I think. It's a ground loop problem. Oh, there's a little 60 hertz re- uh, frequency going into the, uh, going into yeah, the, the picture. Exactly. That problem arises. Also, in audio, you hear a buzz or yeah. a hum. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And that happens when, uh, y- obviously, you have to plug everything into outlets, right? And the outlets, hopefully, are grounded, which means that They're the, the three-prong. Three prong and the yeah. third prong. That little in the U.S. It's a little round prong below the two kind of flat ones. That gets connected to what's called ground or earth, and presumably, ideally, uh, all the plugs in your house want to uh, need should be connected to the same ground. This but is often- a job for the electrician, and uh, you know. It's not a bad idea to have an electrician come in and check not only the ground, but polarity of all your plugs. It's surprising how many plugs are poorly wired. That's exactly it's right. It's not an expensive thing to do, and it's absolutely worth it if you're hearing oh, this kind yeah. of buzz. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, I when I when we moved into my house, the house that we're in currently, um, I had an electrician come in and wire my home theater in particular so that all the plugs were going to the same ground. And And I went so far as – he went so far as to – drive a copper stake into the ground into the literally into the dirt right and then connect all of those grounds from the from the outlets in the uh in the in that room in the yep. theater all to that one stake yep so i can make sure i don't have any ground loops ground loops occur when the grounds of different outlets they're all supposed to be zero volts but they might not be quite Ooh, so there might be just a little bit of voltage on one compared to the other, mm. a little bit of voltage differential. And if you get any amount of voltage differential between them, you'll get what's called a ground loop. And in the case of audio, it'll be, as you said, and in the case of video, it could very well be these these slowly moving lines going from the top to the bottom. Um, so that's the first thing to do is to, I suggested to him that he plug the TV in one of the source devices uh, into the same outlet, maybe using a power strip. So you can't get a ground loop if they're on the same outlet. Correct, because obviously they're on the same ground. Um, and if that, if the interface doesn't it doesn't go, I mean, sorry, if the interference doesn't go away, then I'd say bring a bring in a um, an electrician to take a look at the grounding situation. Uh, there might be a possibly a grounding problem in the TV itself. In which case, you know, a tech from Samsung or Panasonic or whoever made the TV uh, might be able to solve that problem. But I can't imagine that that would just arise spontaneously. Good. Well, that's good. I've always I've heard the term ground loop so many times and I never really I kind of knew, but I didn't know exactly Mm -hmm. why it was caused. So that's very interesting. Yeah, that's I thought that was a good question. Not something uh, you'd probably want to do yourself. Uh, uh, No, no. You want to be very careful about (laughs) about electricity. You don't want to become the ground loop. Exactly. (laughs) You know, when I was a kid, I had model train sets, 
And I remember once or twice, I accidentally put my finger across the positive and negative of, right. of, the, of the plug going in. When I was plugging it into the wall, I happened to accidentally just barely touch across there. And man, that was like, yeah, that's a serious shock. I yeah. mean, you know, it's not going to kill you, but it sure makes you careful in the future. Speaking of serious shocks, some big news coming out of the uh, wireless telecommunications industry, which I'll have for you in just a minute. But meanwhile, let me say thank you to Scott Wilkinson. He is the editor-in-chief of the Ultimate AV Magazine, ultimateavmag.com, and does a great podcast for our network, the uh, Home Theater Geeks podcast, every Monday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern at live.twit.tv. Who's your guest coming up? Ooh, ex- very interesting guy, a guy named Jerry Mahabub. He is the inventor of a, uh, a 3D simulation audio algorithm called Astound Sound. Mm, how interesting. And uh, a very interesting guy. You know who I he- met yesterday? Who's that? Ray Dolby. No kidding. Yes. I just kind of bowed down to him and said, thank you, sir. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, for being here. If you want to email him, Scott at twit.tv. We'll see you next week. Leo reports The Tech Guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. Scott Wilkinson and I and uh, a number of our other hosts on my podcast network are going to go to NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters show, next month in Las Vegas. We won't be doing the radio show from there because it's midweek. It's the 14th through the 17th, I think. But uh, we will be doing our podcasts, our live podcasts and our shows from there, including Scott's Home Theater Geeks. Um, my friend Kirk Harnack from Telos Corporation, who's a great radio geek, loves the radio technology, we with us. And Alex Lindsay from the Pixel Core, who is a uh, new media geek. He's big on uh, new media gear, inexpensive cameras and audio recording devices and so forth. Uh, so we'll have a great panel of experts and we'll be touring around. And I mentioned yesterday I'm going to try something, kind of an experiment. I'm going to talk about geeky. I'm going to shoot video uh, from the show floor on my iPhone. You know, normally we bring around a big old camera and a a device called the Live U, which allows us to stream video wirelessly via, in fact, actually this, our our caller who wanted to go under the houses could use this, but it's pretty expensive. Stream video wirelessly from a camera. So you could have like a high def camera under the house. (laughs) We use it to go around trade show floors or places we can't normally go. Uh, in fact, we're going to have a photo walk uh, downtown in Vegas that week. Uh, we have a photo show called Mostly Photo with Lisa Bettany, and we're going to go downtown with the live view and have a photo walk. So it's fun to have this this wireless capability. But I thought, you know, let's try the iPhone. Let's see how we can. Let's see how that works. Should be interesting. Huge, huge story uh, just coming out. Odd that it would come out on a, a Sunday afternoon. Uh, AT&T is buying T-Mobile USA. So T-Mobile, which is the smallest of the four wireless carriers, the four big wireless carriers in the U.S., you know, it's Verizon, AT&T, they're the big two, and Sprint, and then T-Mobile. And then, of course, there's a lot of smaller ones, Boost Mobile and so forth. Most of them, by the way, are not 
true carriers. They're what we call MVNOs. They they buy bandwidth from the other carriers and resell it. And there's even a Disney telephone that's an MVNO. But the four big carriers, Verizon, AT&T, Sprint, and T-Mobile in that order. AT&T, number two, is buying T-Mobile. That will easily make them, actually, because of the iPhone, I think AT&T has challenged Verizon. may even be number one now. And this will easily ensure they're number one. $39 billion for T-Mobile USA. Now, the interesting thing, and this doesn't surprise me, because AT&T and T-Mobile are the two carriers in the U.S. that use a technology called GSM. It's used worldwide. It's it's uh, the you know it it allows you to have a SIM card in the phone that you can move, put in another phone, and effectively move your account around that way. Um, this will, according to AT and T, expand their uh, their four G network to an additional forty six million Americans, including rural and smaller communities. They say now, once they merge, and this is of course pending regulatory approval, we'll see if that happens. I think one of the reasons they're highlighting this is they hope the regulators will say, yes, this is good for rural populations. But they say they will then reach with their high-speed fourth-generation network, eventually 95% of the U.S. population, and adds LTE to T-Mobile's 34 million subscribers, of whom I am one. Of course, I have one of everything. I'm also an AT&T subscriber, a Verizon subscriber, and a Sprint subscriber. Uh, they, they, uh, AT&T is committing to $8 billion in infrastructure spending over uh, seven years to roll out LTE. This isn't much of a surprise if you think about it. Uh, T-Mobile was struggling, uh, and it helps AT&T get more customers. T-Mobile was not going to be able to move to 4G very well. They've upgraded their network as best they could to HSPA+, which is pretty good because there are not a lot of people using it. But I think this will help both companies. The next thing I think that's going to happen is probable that Verizon will then acquire Sprint and you'll have two big mobile companies in the U.S. Of course, that's not probably good for consumers in the sense that that reduces competition, but that's why the regulators get involved. And we'll see, we'll see if they approve this one. I have a feeling they will because it still leaves three big carriers. And it does, as AT&T is very quick to point out, bring 4G to a lot more rural areas. I think this is just a, you know, makes perfect sense. Deutsche Telekom, which owns T-Mobile in the U.S., and they own T-Mobile worldwide, but they own the U.S. part of it, uh, has just been struggling here. They just they just cannot get a foothold, and partly that's due to Apple. You can thank Apple for this. You can get an iPhone. One of the reasons AT&T has the money to spend is you can, for a long time, for four years, it's the only place you can get an iPhone, and they sold a lot of them. Now with Verizon having the iPhone, it it really you're going to see the competition get brutal, which is good. Good for us. Competition is great, and uh, I look forward to LTE. Both Verizon and AT and T will go to LTE, the next generation of high speed data. A lot of people who are using LTE now on Verizon's network are getting great speeds, but uh, remember, you're not going to continue to get that kind of speed when everybody's using it. There are only a few phones, a handful of phones that support it right now. On the Sprint network, it's the Evo. On the Verizon network, uh, the new Thunderbolt that just came out is 4G. You know, most of the phones are not 4G. Neither of the iPhones are 4G. So there's not, there's just not a lot of competition for that bandwidth. The way it works for cell carriers is they have to provide bandwidth to each cell tower. 
So it's, it's, it's as if they, you know, they're stringing wire out to that cell tower providing two things. Of course, cell phone access, but, but it's a separate thing to provide data access. And they, whatever they provide out there, a megabit of data access, that's shared by everybody on that tower. So if you're the only one using 4G on that tower, you're going to have great speeds. I mean, 10 megabits or more of speed, you're going to have, it's going to be amazing. You're going to say, this is better than my house. But wait till 100 other people or 200 other people or 1,000 other people are using it and then see what you get. And that's been our experience uh, everywhere 4G has been rolled out. As more and more people get 4G phones, that high-speed connection trickles down to pretty much nothing much better than 3G. All right, we're going to get back to the phones here. Interesting story, big story, unusual for a story to come out like this uh, in, uh, on a weekend. AT&T buys T-Mobile. Coming up in a second, Cameron, he's in Philly, wants to do some video streaming. Everybody's doing that, aren't they? We'll talk about it in a second, but right now it's time to remind you, as always, on the weekends, back up. Now, see, I wouldn't have to remind you if you're using Carbonite. Carbonite, I love Carbonite. It's automatically backing up right now. Right now. Whenever you're on the internet, Carbonite, without slowing you down or slowing your internet connection down, trickles your data up to the internet. And that means you're always backed up. And here, here's a nice thing. You don't have to wait for a disaster to happen to take advantage of it. That backup puts your data on the Internet. You can log into your Carbonite account from any computer, even from their smartphone apps on the iPhone. They've got a BlackBerry app. And you just log in, and now your data's right there. So it's cloud-based storage. And let me tell you, the price is right. For unlimited storage, they don't give you a limit on this. But, it's, but, of course, it's the all the data on your internal drive. You can't just start plugging in a bunch of drives and say, I'm backing it all up. You wouldn't want to. You wouldn't want to. It'd take too long. But all the data on your internal drive, this is great for a laptop. For $55 a year, that's 15 cents a day. That is a great deal. And I'll tell you, I'm making an even better deal for you. First of all, try it. I think you should try it free before you buy. Always try before you buy. Make sure it's right for you. Carbonite.com. Use the offer code LEO, Mac or PC. And then if you do decide to buy... Use Leo again when you check out. You'll get an additional two months, 14 months for the price of 12. Carbonite.com. you got to back it up to get it back. So do it right with Carbonite. Cameron in Philly, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Cameron. Hey, Leo. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Hey, I have this uh, small church. I'm trying to help them out. And they, um, they're trying to stream their services online. And right now they're having a little problem. The software they're using is called Cool Edit, but it's not really working well. Want you know, oh, they want to stream audio, not video. Say it again? They just want to stream audio? No, video. Everything. Video and audio. Okay. Do they want to switch it, have multiple cameras, or just have one camera on the on the preacher and just leave it? They have two. Say again? They two cameras. So now they need switching and streaming. Right. Okay. Uh, are they using a service like Justin TV or Ustream or something like that? No, they're using this program called Cool Edit, and I'm not sure how they're really doing it. That's an audio editing program. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they're. Okay. K C O O L E D I T. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I thought maybe your audio. audio, audio. Um. Man. Well, they've got two problems. They've got to switch it, uh-huh. which uh, which means they're probably going to use something like Wirecast or Boinks. I'd take a look at Wirecast. W I R E C A S T. It's uh, it's uh, from Telestream. Okay. It's not cheap, but it's but at least it works on a regular Mac or PC to do the switching, and they can add lower thirds. You know those graphics at the bottom, things like that. I use a TriCaster from NewTek. A lot of churches use TriCasters, but they're they're.
dedicated hardware and maybe a little more expensive. You know what? Let's hang on because I, I want to talk more about the options open to him, Cameron. So hang on and we'll talk about that in a second. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy, and I am so happy to hear from you. 8888-ASK-LEO if you've got a comment or question. We're talking about all sorts of technology stuff. How to use technology in your life. How to change the world with technology. How to find great content with technology. It's all kind of grist for the mill. Phone number 888-827-5536. We've been talking to Cameron. He's in Philadelphia. He's helping out his church. They want to broadcast. I guess they are broadcasting uh, services right now. They have two cameras. They want to stream it on the Internet. And uh, one thing I was saying, Cameron, is there is a software solution. You buy a computer and you put a program called Wirecast on it. And it lets you do this kind of thing. I think a lot of churches use Wirecast. It's about 500 bucks. You will have to buy hardware for it. Okay. Uh, the nice thing is you could try before you buy. There's a $500 version, actually 450 bucks, and a $1,000 version. And uh, I would say the, the the 450 version is fine. All because what you're really doing is you're switching from camera one to camera two, and you can have more cameras, and you're adding you know lower thirds, or uh, lower thirds can also be full screen graphics. So if you're if there's a hymn and you're singing a hymn, you could put the hymn on screen, the lyrics on screen, or you could have it uh, in the lower third, which is not even a third of the screen. I don't know why they call it a lower third, but that's that bar at the bottom of the screen you see on TV. So Telestream makes that. Um, there's another solution, which is a solution I use, and I really like. It's called the TriCaster, and I know a lot of churches use it, uh, high school sports, college sports. Even the NBA is now using a TriCaster. Um, and this is a whole PC uh, with some special hardware and software on it that lets you do the same thing. It's maybe a little easier to set up, and I think if you price it out, you could probably get a used TriCaster for the same amount of money you'd spend to set up a Wirecast solution. Um, but I think it would it'd be pretty good for you. It has built-in live streaming, by the way. Cool. The issue on live streaming is who you, how many people are going to watch. You don't have enough bandwidth, probably, to stream enough for your... Uh... Well, they're kind of small. Um, I mean, I don't know what the audience is like, but they're pretty much 150 people, very small church. Yeah, well, 150 people uh, and a decent quality stream will be about a half a megabit per person. So that's 75 megabits. That's very expensive. You can't, you really can't do that. You know, I'll give you an example. I'm spending $1,000 a month in our new studios for for 20 megabits. So you're talking $5,000 or more a month. Yikes! That's why people use Ustream. <laughs> Ustream.tv. Now, sometimes churches are a little funny about this because they look at the other content on Ustream and they make it a little 
They may now Ustream is not adult by any means, right. but no, it's not. It's not all church goers either. But I wouldn't worry about that. You embed it on your church site. Mm-hmm. They never see the rest of Ustream. It's free, and all you have to do is send one stream. That's that's five hundred kilobits. One stream out to Ustream, and they rebroadcast. They even have a program that might be sufficient for you called the uh, Ustream Producer. Oh, cool. So Ustream or just we use Ustream and Justin. Ustream.tv and Justin.tv. Both of them are free, which I love, and I think a lot of churches uh, use them as well. We certainly have had great results with both. I mean, we, if you watch us on live.twit.tv, you're watching Ustream, Justin, or another company called BitGravity. All three of, you know, we give you three choices. You can pick the one you want. Yeah, I'm watching them right now. Yeah, so it looks pretty good. Ustream Producer is basically a, a simple version of Wirecast. Okay. So I would I would look at you know that'd be my f- for the simplest thing you you got a PC you could do it on a, a laptop well you need to have to have two cards because you have to have two cameras um, but, but try UStream producer and UStream and and see if that works for you okay thank you so much Leah really thanks Cameron great to talk to you I think it's nice that you're helping that church do that um, and those 150 parishioners will be very happy don't be surprised if it goes from 150 to 1,500 or 10,000. It, uh, that's one of the advantages of being on somewhere like Ustream is you're now you're in a directory and if people are searching for church services, they may well find you. You you actually can grow, uh, grow your church and reach uh reach an audience that is not just in Philadelphia but is all over the world. I mean this was this is the discovery that really I made in in when I started uh, podcasting this radio show first in 2005, I think it was. Actually, it was 2004. Podcasting didn't even exist as a concept until September 2004 when uh, Adam Curry kind of created the, the notion. I mean, it had existed before that other people have been doing it, kind of proto-podcasters. But Adam Curry really said, hey, there's a thing. We're going to call it podcasting. And he wrote a little program that lets you download these shows automatically. I found out about it the next month, October 2004, and I'd already been offering these radio shows as edited downloads, MP3 downloads on the on the site, techguylabs.com. And I remember, I'll never forget, a, a kid named Matthew Bischoff. I think he was 14 at the time. So he's 21 now, right? Uh, called me or sent me an email, said, hey, how come you don't podcast? I said, what's that? <laughs> Matthew said, well, you take your audio that you're putting out on MP3. He probably didn't talk like that. I don't know. How to... They talk like this. You take your audio that you put out on MP3 and you create something called an RSS feed. That means really simple syndication. It's a way people can subscribe. This is before iTunes. iTunes didn't even exist. This is a way, or at least it didn't support podcasting. It's a way you can subscribe to a download so that when there's a new show, it automatically downloads to your computer and from there can get onto your iPod or other portable device. I said, well, that's... That seems like a good idea. I mean, certainly I know there are people who, you know, we have 20,000, 30,000 people downloading the show every week. I think it'd be a convenience for them if they could just put this into a program and automatically download it. They don't have to go to the website and find it first. And it was very simple to create that RSS feed. I did it by hand at first. And it really did increase the number of downloads. It was great. So we added a few shows and a few shows. Now we're doing 20 or 30 30 shows. Then we added video and we added streaming. And, uh, you know, it grows from there. 
suddenly instead of the few thousand people who listened, we have pe- tens of th- actually I think it's fifty thousand uh, people a show that download the show, and it's all and this is the important thing for you, Cameron. It's all over the world. You know, the show at the time was just in Los Angeles, but I had listeners in China because it's now it's on the internet. It's being distributed on the internet. It suddenly opens up the whole world to what you do. So that's pretty amazing. Now the chat room saying, you don't call them podcasts. Well, I, you know, early on I said, I don't like the name podcast because it implies you have to have an iPod. And I, I would, at the time I would be, you know, proselytizing. I'd be uh, evangelizing for podcasts, telling people about it. People would say, well, I'd love to do that, but I don't have an iPod. And I, it was like, oh, you don't have, to. we just call it that. Adam Curry just called it that because he, he thought it rhymed with broadcast and he thought it would be cute. I tried for the longest time to get all the podcasters to change it. I, I, I remember speaking early on at Podcast Expo saying, please, let's call it Netcast. Nobody, everybody laughed at me. They mocked me. They said, it's podcast. Everybody knows it as podcast. And part of the problem I saw was, well, it's not just going to be downloadable audio. It's not just going to be on iPods. We're streaming video. What do you call that? It's not a podcast. If you want to watch this show live, you can on the Internet. What is that called? So I decided, we'll just call them shows. <laughs> it's a show. And, you know, nobody, nobody, you don't talk about uh, a TV show as uh, by the means that you're getting it. You don't care whether it's on the internet, the cable, the satellite. You don't say, I'm watching a satellite show. You're watching a show on your TV. So this is a show. I, there is, you know, nomenclature is not that important, except that if you call it a podcast, then people say, well, I don't have an iPod. 8888-ASK-LEO, 888-275-536. That's the phone number. Call this show. <laughs> I guess we do. You know, radio show, that's how it's delivered. It's a radio show. But isn't that limiting? You don't have to, no longer do you have to listen to this on the radio. You can listen on your phone. Is it still a radio show? No, it's it's a show. 8888-ASK-LEO, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. One way or another, we're going to get you. 8888-ASK-LEO, that's the phone number. Let's talk about tech with Ivan in West Covina, California. Hi, Ivan. Welcome to the show. Hey, Leo. Thanks a lot for taking my call. Thanks uh, for calling. You know, we go back, way back, with Dev Null days. So, oh, wow. Yeah, you've helped me an awful lot over the years, and it's been great, and I really appreciate it. Dev Null, people don't know, you know, so people are still surprised when I say I was Dev Null. It was a character, a virtual character I did uh, on MSNBC's The Site back in the mid-90s. And I talked like this, so I think a lot of people didn't know it was me. <laughs> oh, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, I started with you on the radio just before then. Well, that's great. I'm so glad to talk to you. Thanks for calling. Well, I need some advice. Uh, there used to be a program years ago called Packrat, which I really loved. It allowed yes. you to... Uh, you know, collect items for a project and, and virtually in, in the sense of you didn't have to have a duplicate copy in a folder. You could just create a folder and have it point to files wherever they were on your hard drive. Boy, that was a great program. I oh, forgot about PacRat. Yeah, and so I need a solution now with Windows 7 or Mac OS, and I just can't find anything. 
So there are a couple of different things you can do this way. In fact, there's a lot of good solutions, and it really will depend on your workflow, what you're particularly looking to do. Uh, the nice thing about PackRat, as I remember, now r- remind me, but the nice thing about that, it was as unstructured. You had a, you just had a good search algorithm, a good search uh, tool, so that you could quickly find stuff, but you would just dump stuff in there. It was completely unstructured. Right. In, in a sense, it, it was like the file cabinet, and then you right. made folders and pull the items you needed from the file cabinet into the folders, but they just, you know, they were just in one spot. You know, right now I'm, I'm duplicating. If I have a project that uses maybe three or four of the same graphics in the different projects, uh, I'm, I'm duplicating it to put in that folder for that project. And right. managing versions gets to be a problem after a while. Well, one thing about now, and this might be worth just looking at, is Windows 7 has this new libraries capability. Um, you know, if you look at window, your Windows 7 Explorer, you'll see uh, music, pictures, documents. Those aren't folders. They're libraries. They look like folders. What a library effectively is, is a saved search that appears as a folder. So if you right-click on that, you can add folders to your library the library becomes a collation. It doesn't duplicate. In fact, there, there, there isn't technically any data in the library. It's pointing to other sources for that data. So uh, let's take example the pictures folder in Windows 7. That's a, actually a library, and you add folders to it. You can have your pictures stored all over the hard drive, even on external drives, and point them all to pictures. They'll all look like they're in that pictures folder. They're not. Okay. So that may be, that facility may be sufficient for what you want. And, and of course, there are other ways to do these. What kind of files, what kind of data are these? Well, I, I, do, uh, I do a lot of presentations. And uh, both myself, you know, presenting in person and for clients. And so it's, it's just a collection of the stuff for the presentation. Whether, so it should, it's all sorts of stuff. Exactly. Text, audio, graphics. Things like that, and some you know some clients they have multiple presentations, and so you know we utilize the same graphics over and over, uh, and just change a few of the things in one presentation, or it's completely different. And I had thought about the the libraries. I, I was still trying to get my head around that. Yeah, they're ill. They're ill understood, partly because Microsoft really doesn't do a good job of explaining them. Oh wow! What a surprise! <laughs> What a surprise. But uh, that sounds like exactly what you want. Now, the negative on that is that they don't give you great tools for managing it or searching it. But um, uh, I, 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 would tr- I would certainly try that. Now, I'm trying to think of a program. What, what, what PackRat essentially was was an index yeah. to all of this data. Right. Um. There are uh, a number. Professor Messer in our chat room says uh, he's got a Windows 7 video uh, that describes libraries. Microsoft has a, a magazine that describes libraries. My friend Paul Therott and his Windows, this is a book you should get anyway, Windows 7 Secrets talks a lot about libraries. Paul's a big libraries fan. In fact, everything I know about libraries I learned from Paul Therott. Uh, WindowsSecrets.com just did a thing on libraries. So I think that people are starting to get some sense of the power Windows Seven's only been out a couple a year and a half now, and people are starting to understand it. <laughs> uh, there are on it's funny on the Mac there are a number of notebook programs that do this. I would look at also Evernote, uh, which is cross-platform Mac, Windows, even smartphones. Um, but Evernote is is text focused. Yeah, I didn't want to uh, 
you know, put anything. I, I, my, my assumption with Evernote was uh, it is cloud-based, and I didn't want to put anything. It isn't exactly. It's uh, synchronizing. Oh, okay. So you have a local copy and a cloud copy. In fact, Dropbox is another alternative. What I would say is a combination of Dropbox and, and Windows 7 libraries might be exactly what you're looking for. What Dropbox does is it says, these folders, sync them to the cloud, and then if you have Dropbox running on other computers, sync it back down to those computers. So if you had multiple computers, you'd have whatever folders, and it has selective folders, so you don't have to copy all the folders on every computer, but you could have, for instance, a client folder that had different client assets uh, on the Dropbox. It would automatically get copied to every computer, backed up on the cloud, which is nice, you know, that's good peace of mind, and then use libraries to collate the various pieces of material. The, the nice thing about libraries is it looks like maybe you've duplicated, but it's not. It's pointing. It's a pointer. Everything in a library folder is a pointer to the actual data. Oh, well, you know, that, that does sound good. I, I like the Dropbox idea because I do work between Macs and, and PCs. Oh, yeah, well, that, that's perfect. So. The nice thing, Evernote, same thing. Evernote does let you it's, – it's, it's more of a single database. It does let you put graphics and PDFs. You could take pictures and stuff. But I think it's too constrained for what you're talking about. I think you might have a, um, a, a variety of arbitrary file formats. You might even have CAD files or whatever. And Dropbox doesn't care. Oh, okay. That's all. Now, apparently, somebody just sent me a link. This can't be the same PackRat. Yeah, pack, giantlaser.com slash PackRat apparently is, is Windows 7 compatible. Wow. I didn't... That can't be. Oh, it's, a, it's Java. So I wonder if they've kind of recreated PackRat in a Java form. That's very interesting. I don't know if it's the same. They call it a compact. I think this is a different program. Compact Minimalist PIM. No, it's not the same. Yeah. Oh, rats. You got my hopes up. <laughs> Those of us who used PackRat, and I used it as well, yeah. uh, really were fans of it. And it's one of the many, many victims of uh, yeah. progress. Do <laughs> uh, you have time for one quick one? Sure. Okay. Uh, this is completely different. I'm on a, a Mac OS uh, Leopard, and when I try to copy files across my network to my Windows 7 machine, I can see the drives, I can drag and drop, but as it copies them, I get the permission error. Oh, I hate that. I have this. I've had the same thing happen. I can go from the. I can look at it. Do it from the Windows machine. Look right. Can copy no problem. And, you know, the password's the same, everything. Yeah, I've banged my head against this one. In fact, I don't know the answer because I've had the same problem. We have some, we do do a lot of cross-platform computing. Uh, just, uh, and I frequently want to copy files from my Mac over to a Windows machine, and I get that exact same issue. I Now, the chat room's saying it is a Samba SMB issue. Might want to try CIFS as the file system instead. I will try. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into this because I, you know what? I'd like to solve it too. So keep listening, Ivan. We'll see if we find a, find a solution. Thank you. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. You give them a ring now, 866, the number 2, GetNet, to get DSL Extreme. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the number. We're talking about computers and the internet and cell phones and camcorders and MP3 players and home theater and all the cool gadgets and gizmos that are part of uh, our daily life. How to use them, how to choose them, how to abuse them. 8888-ASK-LEO. Let's go to Flushing, Queens in uh, New York, New York. And Ronald, our next caller. Hi, Ronald. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Hey. Good afternoon. Thank you for taking my call. I listen to a lot Thanks of netcasts and been a fan since the ZD days. Thanks. Thanks for calling it a netcast. Uh-huh. Um, I've set up a website. I want to know um, what I can do to help promote it. Well, you can call the tech guy and you can say the website uh-huh. name on the air. Okay. It's uh, help us start the Regan family.com. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a long one. Help yeah. us start the Regan family.com. No, not us. Help start the reganfamily.com. And how do you spell Regan? R-E-G-A-N. And I'm no relation to the ex-president. My name. I gotta say, your Ronald. name is Ronald Regan. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. <laughs> so Her you're trying to raise. You're trying to raise money uh-huh. for in, in vitro fertilization for you and your wife. That's and what a pretty picture of you too. I love that picture. Oh, thank you, thank you. That's a that's uh-huh. fantastic. It's, so uh, what can I do to help my... you? You, you? Right. Insurance often doesn't cover something like uh-huh. that because it's, quote, experimental, right? Right. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so um, there's a couple of ways you could uh, – well, first of all, you, you have the reasonable question of how do I let people know about this. I don't think strangers are, are likely to contribute, so it's easy because your audience is going to be people who know you. Right. Um, unless you can get the NBC Today show to pick up the story or something like that. And uh, and that might make some attention. Um, okay. The other thing you might want to take a look at is um, a site called Kickstarter.com. Uh-huh. Okay. Kickstarter is designed to kickstart projects. Uh, originally, it was to kickstart, uh, you know, web projects, but it can, it's now being extended to kickstart documentary movies, oh, wow. um, physical products. In fact, it's been used very successfully, but a lot of people, I first found out about it from the Diaspora Project, which was last summer. It was four NYU students who wanted to raise money to create a Facebook killer. Oh, wow. Okay. And they raised, I think, a quarter of a million dollars. Wow. So, so, so if you want to raise your seed fund, as it were, uh, yes. you, go to kick, you go to kickstarter.com and you can set it up. And the, I, think, I think a baby is a good project. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think yeah, it's a great too. project. You still have the website. I, I, I would still have the website and you, could, you, you need that because you need to point people somewhere. I'd also uh-huh. create a Facebook page and put okay. a Facebook like button on here. You know, maybe okay. a Facebook page called Regan Family or something or Start the Regan Family. You don't want to get too long. If that's a long URL, it's a lot to type. And so that kind of, uh, you know, that that makes it easier to mistype. And and so I think, you know, maybe even uh, Facebook.com slash HSTRF or something like that. You know, make it easier for people to get to. But so you want the Facebook page. You want the Twitter account. You need something on this page to tell people how you're doing so far. You don't have anything. But Kickstarter will help with that. Kickstarter has kind of an automatic... Um, uh, widget that will uh, let people know how the project's going, and they can click the widget and go to your Kickstarter page and donate money. 
Oh, okay. So, there, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of ways out there nowadays to raise money like this. Okay. Uh, so I try all of those, and I wish you I wish you the best, Ronald. And of course, you got to tell your friends and family and and all that. I think it's most likely that that's who's going to donate. You know, complete strangers might say, "Oh, that's sweet. I'm glad they're trying to do that," but I think that's unlikely that they would donate. Uh, by the way, on Kickstarter, one of the things you do is you have different levels of donation and different rewards for different levels. So people give ten bucks, uh, maybe they get a baby picture. <laughs> they get, you know, pay a hundred bucks, um, maybe they get, uh, I don't know, uh, bronzed baby shoes in three years. They pay a hundred bucks, they could be there at the birth. Whatever it is, you <laughs> you have to you have to give them levels of participation. Um, Kickstarter.com is really amazing. If you go there, you can see the variety of projects has really uh, uh, exploded. It's not just you know startups anymore. It's interesting because it is, in fact, itself a startup. They um, they uh, have investors, and uh, and they're do uh, so. I guess they must take they must have a, a revenue model. I guess they take some money out of it. But people are using this to. Well, here's uh, a project to send a National Geographic photographer to Chernobyl to cover the to take pictures of the disaster twenty five years later. Here is uh, a designer who wants to. Um, create a new baseball scorebook design. <laughs> I think that's kind of fun. Somebody wants to write a novel, wants some support there, a graphic novel. Uh, somebody wants to do an animated movie. Uh, filmmakers, photographers, artists. So their tagline now is fund and follow creativity. So it's gotten to be much more than just startup tech companies. And I think, I think you, you know, Really, the way to get attention for this is to tell the world we want to have a baby and we're using Kickstarter to fund it. I think you might get some press. That's the best way to do it. You want to get on the Today Show or Good Morning America. That's how you That's how you get some attention. So to make a better website, use Kickstarter, get a Facebook page, a Twitter account, and then start uh, start calling uh, radio and TV stations to, to get them to help you out. They're going to love the story. It's a cute story. Good luck, Ronald. I think that's great. Tony in Urbandale, Iowa. Uh, Iowa, yeah. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Tony. Oh, Leo, how you doing? Fantastic. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for accepting my call. Always, always. Well, I wouldn't have a show without your call, so thank you. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, I was calling to let you know uh, I was going to comment on the uh, HTC Thunderbolt. Yes, have you got one? Because I've been looking at this with great interest. It's a uh, a 4G Android phone for from Verizon. Yeah. However, it is not a dual processor. You know, all the new phones are super fast. Do you have one? I have one. I was uh, I went to the uh, local mall up here in Iowa, Urbandale, and I was the first one to actually to get one. I want to get one. I'm really looking at this. You tell me, should I get it? I have to say, Leo, I am very impressed. All right. Very impressed. I was going to wait till the droid, the uh, bionic comes out. Right. Uh, but with, through my research and everything, I think the uh, Thunderbolt won out. Now you're getting. Now you're making my mouth water. Now the, uh, it's a 4.3 inch screen. It kind of looks like the Sprint Evo. It does. It's really this. It's the same family. It is. Uh, 
Same company makes it. Um, and I loved the Evo. Now, here's my real question to you. And on all of these smartphones, this is always a big question for me, is what kind of battery life are you getting, Tony? Leo, you, uh, you nailed it. The battery life, I get about maybe four, five tops. Battery. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if see, I got to get through the day. I got to get eight to ten hours. Now, is that with 4G turned on? Are you getting 4G in your area? Now, that's the sad part about it. I, don't, I do not receive 4G here in uh, Iowa. Yeah. They say it later in the year, but no telling when that might happen. Yeah, Verizon's going to be very aggressive. They're adding 45 new markets this year. So you may well get it. Uh, certainly anybody in a, in a major urban area should get 4G. I'd wonder, I, I wonder given that battery life number and... The fact that you don't have 4G, if it, which, by the way, I don't either. I'm not sure this is the right phone. Yeah, but, you know, I'm still going through a lot of testing on this so far. Matter of fact, I just turned off my Bluetooth mode because I had everything on, so that could have... Yeah, you don't know. Yeah, you're right. I think it, Android phones especially can, can be highly tweaked to get better battery life. Yeah, and I just recently just did that as far as turning everything off. So what more- version of Android does it come with? more uh, battery life on here. It's 2.2. I see it right here. 2.2. Hey, well, well, thank you for the early review, Tony. Why don't you call in a few weeks when you've had it and, and let me know what you think. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888. Ask Leo. That's the phone number. Talking about all this cool tech stuff. Of course, uh, if you're just tuning in, the big news, and you usually don't get big news breaking on a weekend like this. The big news is AT&T has announced that it has purchased T-Mobile from Deutsche Telekom for $39 billion. Um, they are immediately gone gone into spin mode to convince federal regulators this is a good thing for consumers because, of course, it does mean there'll be one fewer mobile carrier in the U.S. There are four big ones right now. And I think they're smart to get this before Verizon buys Sprint. AT&T buys T-Mobile. That make it, makes it hard for Verizon to buy Sprint because that would take it from four to two. But the AT&T spin machine, it's right in the press release, says, this is good for America. No, really, it's good. Because, um, yeah, more people will be able to get high-speed internet that way. <laughs> T-Mobile's had a hard time moving to a fourth-generation network. They've upgraded their network pretty much as much as they can to HSPA+. It's pretty good. I like it. Um, but they're having a hard time getting, uh, getting to 4G. AT&T has committed to LTE. That's the same high-speed fourth-generation data network that Verizon is using. And... Uh, this, so AT&T saying, this will bring LTE to 45 million more Americans, more rural areas. We'll have high-speed 3G connections or 4G connections. Um, and they're hoping, they're hoping that the feds buy that one. Very interesting. And not surprising, I have to say. Uh, T-Mobile and Sprint have been struggling. AT&T's just gotten huge with the help of uh, Apple and the iPhone. Now that Verizon has the iPhone, these guys, they're dominant. Verizon's always had the network. AT&T's always had the iPhone. Sprint and T-Mobile have always been kind of laggard. I happen to have, I love my T-Mobile phones. 
But uh, I have a number of T-Mobile phones, but uh, I have to say, I I think that uh, this makes sense. Jennifer from San Jose, you're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Leo. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a question for you about a new digital camera. I currently have an Olympus 770SW, fabulous little just pocket-sized point-and-shoot. It can survive my toddler sisters. It can survive my preschool. It goes underwater. I love it. I was going to say, those styluses, your toddler could uh, just put it in his mouth and suck on it, and it would be fine. They have, and it is. (laughs) It's Um, waterproof. (laughs) (laughs) I love that thing. I went snorkeling with it in Hawaii. It's great. Oh, that's cool. What it's not great for is indoors. I've found at my sister's birthday parties indoors, at conventions and conferences, my pictures are kind of yellow, kind of blurry. Maybe every tenth one is useful. Um, I really, really enjoy photography. I'm trying to do more of it, and I'm also a graphic designer, so I like to use my own photos instead of buying stock photos when I can. Um, So I'm looking to upgrade, and I don't think I'm ready to go the SLR route with carrying the camera bag and the lenses and all that, but I want to get as close to it as I can with some kind of a super zoom. I'm wondering, I've, I've been looking up reviews everywhere, and there seem to be you know, a handful that keep coming up, but everybody says they're the best, and then someone else says, no, it's terrible. Well, so I, I will tell you the ones I like, but okay. none of them are, are toddler-proof. That's okay. Uh, okay. I, I'm not going to let my toddlers near the new one. <laughs> <laughs> they're better for toddlers because they're faster. I mean, one of the advantages a newer That's camera will one. give you is you won't have the shutter lag that you have. Yeah, and toddlers move far too fast for shutter lag. You want a camera that'll take a picture right away. Exactly. Yeah, that's where the SLRs are are absolutely the winners because they can take they're as fast as a film camera. Mm-hmm. You press a button, it takes the picture. Um, none of the point and shoots are quite that fast. There is always a slight lag while it's focusing, but then once you've got it, you know, you press it halfway down, you focus it, it goes beep. Then you can do you can rip off five or six pictures very quickly. Mm-hmm. So with the burst mode, so they're much better. They're, you you have a fairly old camera. This these would be much better. Okay. Um, if you want, if compactness is key, I would look at the Canon S ninety five. Okay. Very compact, excellent image quality. These all shoot raw. Yeah. As you get serious about photography, you want to shoot raw, not JPEG. JPEGs are compressed. You lose some quality. Raw is exactly what the camera saw, yeah. and it gives you more flexibility what you can do afterwards. You're a graphic designer. You want raw. I do. Raw is one thing I'm looking for. I'm hoping for one with some manual controls. Yep. Um, and another one, another Canon to look at is the G12. It's bulkier. Um, both the G12 and S95 are aimed at the prosumer market. Every pro I know has a point and shoot. Mm-hmm. Because for that very reason, they want to carry. They don't always want to have a camera bag around with them. Right. Right. So they always have something they can slip into a pocket. And I think the S95 is a very good candidate for that. I uh, looked at that uh, and bought the ended up buying the Panasonic Lumix LX5. LX5, okay. It has some interesting features. Also shoots raw. It has a very all of these have very fast f2 lenses, which means your birthday party pictures, your conference pictures will be much better. Good. Okay, cuz I'm going to another conference this summer and I do not want it to turn out like last week. Yeah. You won't have to pop out the flash, and that's important because I don't like flash photography. Yeah, no, you can't use the flash in a lot of these places. Yeah, Almost yeah. They're yellow. And so a fast lens is key. That's F2 is about as fast as you're going to get on a point and shoot. Okay, good to know. Uh, all three of the ones I'm about to mention have uh, F2 lenses. Uh, the LX5 has a nice feature. You can 
uh, it has various aspect ratios. You can shoot 16, 9, 1, 1, 4, 3, and 3, 2. Ah. And without losing pixels, it just crops. Uh, it's really an interesting. Uh, um, the 16, 9 is nice for wide angle. And it is a it is a twenty four millimeter lens. Now none of these will zoom more than three or four x, and, and there's a good reason for that. The twelve x zooms you you really don't want. Really they're impossible. Yeah, they're hard to handhold. Um, okay, with it being a big one, I'm going to hold on to my Olympus for. It does make it bigger, you know, because the the lens has to go out farther to be a big zoom. Right. I'm uh, I'm okay with that being. Even the ones that are almost the size of an SLR, I just don't want to have to also carry all the lenses and deal with Well, then one more I would look at is the, uh, and, and my friend Andy Anako writes for the Chicago Sun-Times, loves this, is the Nikon P7000. Nikon P7000. Okay. These are all in the same category, another F2 camera. Hmm. If you go to DP Review, they did a comparison of these three side by side, and they'll tell you what's good or bad on this. Now, I think what you might want to look at is a micro four-thirds camera. Okay. I haven't heard of that one. Now, this is kind of intermediate between a point-and-shoot and an SLR. It does have interchangeable lenses, but they're smaller cameras because they don't have mirrors. Hmm. Micro Four Thirds is a really nice new format. One For one reason, all the lenses are compatible. Okay. So you can buy a Micro Four Thirds lens from anybody, and they'll fit your camera. Uh, they shoot excellent video. I bought a Panasonic GH1. The GH2 is current now, and now they're they're a little bigger. The GH2 actually looks like a, an SLR, mm-hmm. but it has a uh, the a little more. The body's much more compact, okay. so it has some of the benefits of an SLR. Interchangeable lenses being one of them, uh, high quality images being another, mm-hmm. with some of the compactness. They're also more expensive. We're gonna we're talking now of. of Four hundred dollars for the point and shoots I talked about. More like six, seven, eight, a thousand for the uh, Micro Four Thirds. Yeah, Panasonic makes them. Uh, Olympus Olympus makes a good Micro Four Thirds. Since you, yeah. <laughs> so you want to stay with the four hundred range? Yeah, that's probably my range at the moment. Um, well, those are those are three very good ones. Uh, you might add the G twelve into that. The so the S ninety five, the G twelve. Those are both from Canon. The Panasonic Lumix LX five. And the Nikon P7000, all really, really great point-and-shoot uh, point cameras. Okay. Do you have any input on some of the reviews that I was reading on the super zooms, you know, the ones with 20 or 30 times optical zoom? People were saying that by that point, it's great that you can get close, but the information can't keep up. And it's... Yeah, I wouldn't. You cannot hold. You'd have to tripod those. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's not... Yeah. I wouldn't. And you lose acuity. There's a lot of reasons why you don't want a super zoom. Okay. So how far- 4x is a lot of zoom. Go above about 4 times. No. And all of the three I uh, just described are around 4x. Okay. Excellent. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that Lumix uh uh LX5, that's the one I picked. It's a little less compact, but and uh, it's just great images. You would be very happy. Okay. And I I do encourage you to do this. The graphic artists I know who have taken to photography, because you've already got the design sense, become very good photographers very quickly. I have a lot of fun with it. I can. Yeah. Like, you should be doing this. I love it. I, yeah. You, to the point where the camera is the limiting factor. And so. Yes. Ready for more. And you know, you know what, Jennifer, you'll be buying an SLR in a couple of years. I'm sure I will. <laughs> you will. It, 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 it start, 
it starts that, you know, <laughs> it starts with the point and shoot and better and better. But pretty soon you go, I need a full frame sensor. I want to have a very fast lens. I need a macro lens. As you become more creative and you want to do more, hmm. you need more flexibility in your tools. But right now, start with a good point and shoot. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Because my uncle has an SLR that's available to me if I need it. Borrow his. Yeah. Jennifer, thanks for the call. Good luck, and I'm really glad you're doing this. I think this is this will be a great new hobby for you. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, a good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the Tech Guy, and it's hour number three of the Tech Guy program. Talking about computers and the internet and cell phones and camcorders and MP3 players and home theater and all that stuff. 8888-ASK-LEO is the phone number. 888-827-5536. Lots of people asking uh, in the chat room and elsewhere uh, what the T-Mobile deal means for T-Mobile customers. In case you're just tuning in, AT&T announced this afternoon, kind of a strange time to announce it, a Sunday afternoon, that they have uh, just agreed uh, to buy T-Mobile USA from Deutsche Telekom for $39 billion. They say it'll take about a year to close the deal. There will be some big changes. You know, the T-Mobile headquarters in Seattle, uh, somebody in our chat room said uh, he'd heard that might mean as many as 10,000 jobs lost there. That's significant of course there's a lot of overlap when you have two companies doing the same thing and one buys the other if you're a t-mobile customer as i am i i uh, I use t-mobile uh for uh, my google phones so i have a nexus one right now i had a nexus s earlier and uh they both were t-mobile phones we'll just become at&t customers it'll be pretty seamless and the reason i know this is because at&t did this once before they bought singular remember singular in California, and the same thing. Just, you know, one day you're an AT&T customer. You go to AT&T for your service, support, AT&T stores to get a new phone, all of that. Uh, one thing I will miss, AT&T, because they were the little guy, had some great deals. I love this uh, $99 for everything deal. They had some really uh, aggressive pricing for data, uh, for... Uh, uh, phone. I mean, I think that they were really uh, affordable. It's one of the reasons I like them. And where I live now, really, it comes down to how well a carrier does in your neck of the woods. Where I live, T-Mobile's fine. They're as good as anybody else. Absolutely as good as anybody else. Uh, so I've been very happy with T-Mobile. As you travel around, you might find that Verizon is better. In fact, Verizon seems to be better in most places. AT&T plus T-Mobile? AT&T says that's going to give us 95% of the U.S. will really improve our coverage. So that makes sense. I have an AT&T iPhone. Of course, I'm an AT&T customer too. And I have a Verizon iPad and a Verizon... Well, I don't have a Verizon phone. That's one of the questions I've been asking you. I'd like to buy a new phone from Verizon. 
We were talking earlier about the brand new Thunderbolt, which came out last week. Bad battery life. That's a that's a deal breaker for me. Got to get through the day. I got to be able to take it off the charger in the morning and not have to put it back on the charger till the, you know when I get home or go to bed. That's that. That means probably uh, you know something like eight a.m. to ten p.m. There are very few phones, smartphones that'll do that. In fact, uh, even on my iPhone, I you know. It will kind of limp along. It probably could make that. But I have a case, a Techion case that has batteries, additional batteries, so that uh, I can be sure to get through the day with the iPhone. 8888-ASK-LEO. You can give me some advice. What would you get? 888-827-5536. Paul in Anaheim Hills, California. You're next. Hi, Paul. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello? Hey, Paul. Welcome. Oh, thanks for taking my call, Leo. Thanks for calling. Question for you, uh, we happen to have a cabin up in the mountains, and there are times that I would like to have the technology of turning on, uh, say, the furnace up there from a hundred miles away. Uh, is there any technology out there that will allow me to do that? Uh, yeah, there's actually quite a bit of technology that will allow you to do that. Uh, home automation is a very big and growing category. Unfortunately, um, the standards in home automation haven't really been set. So there are a variety of different standards. And when you commit to one company, you kind of commit to the way they're doing it. Um, I don't have a personal preference. You know, X10 has been around for an awful long time. And they offer these kinds of home automation features. But there are also a lot of other companies that do this. X10 tends to be uh, pretty affordable. Uh, I think a lot of people don't like X10 because they were the guys who invented the pop-up ad. They certainly market aggressively, but that's one of the reasons their prices are low. And uh, I'm not sure if they have that specific... You know, they do a lot of cameras, but they do also do home automation. I wouldn't be surprised at all if if there were a way for you to turn on your furnace uh, via the Internet. I'd look under the automation. Let's see, wireless doorbell, active home... Remote light switch, remote control lights, lighting, uh, appliance module, home automation. I'd, I'd say they probably have uh, pretty much anything you'd want to do remotely. The key for it, of course, is uh, is uh, doing it via the Internet. They, we believe in the intelligent home of the future. Change your life with Jedi-like. Oh, look, they've even got pop-up ads on their own website. Boy, that's bad. <laughs> And how bad can you get? <laughs> uh, I also have uh, security cameras up there, and every now and then I'll have a little uh, uh, internet problem, and I can't connect to my DVR. Right. And I find that if I just reset my modem, uh, you know, it straightens it right out. Well, I have to make a special trip up there. Ah, oh, that stinks. Just to- that's time to get a new modem, I'd say. But also, like, you know, uh, some way. Uh, from down here to turn on the furnace and do that, um, turn the modem off and on, or reset the modem. Yeah, you should be able to do that as well. Um, There is a website that uh, one of our chatters uh, suggests, and I think this is a good idea too, called smarthome.com. This is a home automation store, so they sell a variety of brands. And uh, you'd you'd be able to find all kinds of things uh, to do this including uh, thermostats, HVAC controls, um, and they have brands, uh, Smart Home, Leviton, Bose, Sylvania, Elk, Lutron was very big, uh, Visonic. I, you know, I wish I could 
tell you, oh, I know what you do. You do this. But there are just so many choices, and I, I am not an expert in this area. I think smarthome.com is probably a really good place to go because they sell all of them. That would give me a good starting point. Yes, sir. I think so. Well, Leo, I'll I really tell you what. If, you, if you're listening, visit our chat room or call and, and say, tell us how you do it. Okay, if I get it done. All right, Paul. Thank you. Thank you, Leo. No. Appreciate it. Take care. Yeah. 8888-ASK-LEO. The chat room, actually, the easiest way to go to our website, which is techguylabs.com. Techguylabs.com. And there's a chat link there. Um, I'd love to hear from somebody who has done this and uh, what the pitfalls are as well. Yes, yeah, Schlage makes automated front door locks. I love that. You can you can use your smartphone or, or your browser to open the door. Um, lots of lots of choices uh, out there for this kind of home automation. And when I've looked at this, and I do look at it every year at the Consumer Electronics Show, I tour through all the different home automation uh, displays and so forth. And and there's a it's a huge and growing area. But what I really think is holding it back is there uh, the lack of a standard. Because wouldn't you? Wouldn't the ideal situation be there's a standard way of doing this kind of signaling and commu- connection and communication, and that everybody adheres to, and then you could buy the variety of devices you need from the same, uh, you know, the, the, from a variety of people, but they all work with the same standard. That's that's what really transformed personal computing, isn't it? Microsoft and IBM created a hardware software standard. They Wintel, I guess you call it Intel was involved too, but Wintel it was called. And because 90% of all computers were Wintel systems, they ran Windows on an Intel-based processor with an IBM PC style bus and motherboard. Because of that, for and and that kind of dominance of the marketplace for 20 years, there was this huge growth of innovation and invention. Because a developer could say, well, I'll write for this platform and most people will be able to use it. Internet standards are the same thing. Internet standards mean that you can write a, create a website and you know that anybody can see it and use it. These, that's why you want these standards. The problem with home automation is, yeah, there's standards. <laughs> there's about a dozen of them. And uh, I think that holds a, that holds a, a sector back. 8888-ASK-LEO, that's the phone number. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number if you have a question, comment, or suggestion. We've been talking, actually having some fun, talking in the chat room about home automation. One recommendation is for a standard, a new standard that a lot of companies uh, are using called Z-Wave. Z-Wave.com to learn about it. Uh, Again, it's just one of a number of standards. Uh, it's proprietary. It doesn't, it, you know, you have to license it if you want to use it. But Schlage, uh, these Schlage locks that uh, you use the internet to open, is a Z-Wave product. Uh, so I think that, you know, that's a pretty big vote of confidence. And they do make Z-Wave devices that'll hook up to your, you know, anything. You can reboot your router. You can turn the furnace up and down, off and on. 
so there's water sensors, emergency wa- water shutoff valves. A lot of people want that, of course, uh, with the uh, vacation homes. Whole home energy controllers, smart code with home connect technology, entry locks from Quickset and Schlage. Looks like there's a, quite a few companies using this Z-Wave standard. So that's just that's one standard, but it seems like this is one that is getting some some adoption. You want you you know you'd like to use one that gives you the broadest variety of products you could use, right? Dave in Bell Canyon, California. You're next, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Dave. Hi. How are you? Thank you for taking Fantastic. my call. Thanks for calling. Okay, I have um, I'm asking for advice. All right. A little over a year ago, I bought a uh, HP desktop computer that came with eight megabytes of RAM. And uh, like a 750 gig hard drive. It was a nice setup. It came with Vista operating system. On the box was a sticker that said free right. upgrade to Windows 7 because it had just right. come out. Right. So I came home, set my computer up, called, I think I did it online, and I got the upgrade to Windows 7, and I was really happy. And then this past December, the computer died for whatever reason, and I it found out it was out of warranty. Well, I, I bought it at a big box store, and I bought an extended warranty for two years. So I took it into the store. They couldn't find it. Well, they, they told me they fixed it. I brought the computer home and still had the same problem, and that happened a couple times. Ultimately, I went back, and they replaced my hard drive. Well, when they replaced my hard drive, they sent me home with the computer, and all my software from HP was gone. And I, right downgraded back to Vista. Right. I went, well, hey, well, where's, my, where, where's my Windows? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So, they, well, you're going to have to call HP. Well, you call HP, I ended up to buy a bunch of disks from them, which was oh. all my good fun and game software, but there was no Windows 7 in there. So then they're trying to sell me Windows 7, and they tell me I have to call Microsoft. So I call Microsoft, and they say, oh, you got to go back to HP. Did you not get a Windows 7 CD? No, not that I can ever remember. I would have. Oh it. yeah, you did. You did. You had to have. So so here's the deal. When when the HP came the first time, it came with a system restore disk that had Wind, you know Windows Vista on it. Uh huh. And then you pay for the upgrade, or actually it's a free upgrade, or in most cases it was a free upgrade, and they would send you another disk that would have the Windows Seven software on it. For some would reason, upgrade I would upgrade you. Done it online. Can't. Huh. I I don't believe so. Let me ask anybody in the chat room: Were they da- allowing you to download? So there were there were Windows Seven upgrades over the net. All right, well, all right. That's uh, really a shame because that that leaves you really in in an un- unfortunate situation, which is you don't have an operating system. Have a key. So so then after, now what they did is they ended up to replace because they couldn't find out what was wrong with the computer. They ultimately replaced two times my hard drive. Two times the motherboard. The first motherboard was from HP. It still had the same problem. So then they replaced the hard drive again and the motherboard again with a motherboard by another manufacturer. So it's it's like not even an HP computer anymore. Well, yeah, and this is unfortunate. The big box stores kind of uh, because the original HP hard drive had the files on it. You know, they they put it they put them on a hidden 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 file. But when they replaced it, they obviously didn't replace those that hidden partition, and now you don't even have an HP computer anymore. We'll have another uh, year, over uh, over a year on the warranty, because I bought the extended warranty, and they, it says right on there, if they can't fix it after four times, 
they replaced the computer. Well, Good. Keep bringing it back till you get a new computer. Fuck with that. That thing's been back and forth. <laughs> Uh, about probably eight or nine. Uh, you know what? This is exactly why I don't buy extended warranties. It's a big profit uh, uh, for these stores, and it's like sometimes like pulling hair to get them to honor them. Oh, there you go. That's that's where I'm at, and I, I don't I don't really miss the HP software that much because I yeah. have all the other things installed. I can, I can get where I need to go, but I would really like to have had that Windows Seven back. Well, I think uh, it is a call to HP. I don't think it's a call to Microsoft. This Windows 7 was provided for you by HP as a download, and you tell them, I want my Windows 7. I It was part of the deal, and it's part of the the uh, computer. Two and a half hours on the phone with them. I'm, I must have talked to 15 people, and every one of them was selling me something else. It's like, well, let it, be a, let it be a lesson to everybody who's listening. Do not buy HP gear. Can I say that more unequivocally? Do not buy HP gear. Don't even listen to you when you ask them a straight question. They just keep going on with their script. <laughs> yeah, they don't know. They don't know anything. That's why that they have they have to read it. So, so there comes back to my original question. What's your advice? <sighs> well, you can. Here's what I would do. You've got a working PC. It sounds uh, like and you, whatever they put in there now with this new motherboard, the the fan. It sounds like a jet. Hear it all the way in. It's a junky PC, but they gave you, they have a working PC. I would go out and buy, you can buy a copy of Windows 7. I mean, it's that or getting a whole new computer. Yeah. Well, that's- and uh, and in future, don't buy HP and whatever you do, don't buy a, a, a third-party warranty from a big box store. What do you buy? Because, I mean, my wife and I both have our own computer. She's got another one at work, and we end up to replacing these things probably every couple of years. That's why I buy Macs, to be honest with you, because... Uh, as expensive as they are, partly the reason they're so expensive is you're kind of paying for better service and support. The other problem is, is we're in in, in real estate, and, and you need Windows. Most everything is in is yeah. Him. MLS is Windows. Everything's Windows. Uh, well, I like Dell, uh, but I have to say Dell's not perfect. Um, uh, really, there's no PC manufacturer who is perfect at this point. Well, I had an Evo 4G works better than my computer does. I know, I know. It's shocking. To be honest, it's shocking. Well, I, uh, these companies are so terrible. Well, the, Part yeah, of the reason they're terrible is our fault, because we pushed prices down so low that they make so little money on these things that they can't afford to support you. That's why they move support off offshore. That's why they charge you for calls. They cannot afford. That was when I... There's another story. I mean, now that I got all this stuff back, I have a... Uh, all my software was gone, so I, I had a, a Epson Workforce 600 that was wireless that my wife and I both use. So I lost all of that, so I call Epson on, a, on the 562 number. This guy must have kept me on the phone hours. It was, it was, it was incredible. I, Did he solve the problem? Uh, well, ultimately, I, I flipped out, and I said, come on, man. I said, what did you do, go to the bathroom? <laughs> Oh, man. You know, I I just think it's so sad. I mean, look. (laughs) What can I say? These companies stink. (laughs) There's nothing more to say. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by Carbonite.com. you got to back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. Visit Carbonite.com and use the offer code LEO to try it free for two weeks. No credit card needed. Carbonite.com. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Boy, I just I really feel for Dave, who just had this nightmare situation. Now, it's an interesting problem because, on the one hand... Um, it is, it is the case that uh, computers are not as easy to use as the computer industry would like you to think. <laughs> and, and you end up often being your own support. And people who, uh, you know, Dave's a realtor. He, he, just wants to, he just wants to use a computer to get the job done. People don't have an IT department to tear their hair out for them. Have to do this themselves. And it's just a, it's just a, it's a kind of nightmare. I can't believe that anybody sells a PC or a computer of any kind without an operating system disk, an actual physical disk. And I wouldn't recommend anybody buy a computer without it. Do you know why they do that? Microsoft. Microsoft charges a company much less for Windows if there's no physical media. Because, and it's paranoia. Microsoft is the most paranoid company in the world when it comes to piracy. And they think if they give you an operating system disk, you will steal it and give it to all your friends. As a result, you've got users who are just disenfranchised. I know you're supposed to make your own disk from the <laughs> from the software on the hard drive, and if it fails, then what do you do? And if you, the disk doesn't work when you need it, then what do you do? It's just uh, there's no recourse for consumers. It's really unfortunate. Uh, Apple, I think, has has the right idea. First of all, they charge more for their hardware, and there's a good reason. They make enough money on their hardware that they can afford to support you properly. They bundle a unlocked operating system disk with every computer. And should you lose that or need it, you can buy another copy of Snow Leopard, their operating system, for $30. So you really aren't without a disk when you have an Apple computer. Ever. Um, I understand you have to use Windows because you're in real estate. I just wish Microsoft and the manufacturers would get their act together and realize you got to have a disk. Now, if you have a Windows PC right now and it's working, make yourself a boot disk. (laughs) Make yourself a recovery disk. Make yourself a restore disk because you will need one someday. If you don't have an IT department with, and you know the IT department has disks. If you don't have an IT department, if you're your own support, you better you better learn how to do your own support because otherwise, you'll be like Dave. You'll be stuck. And you better darn well back up. And that actually is a good segue into uh, our advertiser Carbonite.com. I talk about backup a lot. I talk about Carbonite a lot. There are lots of ways to back up, and certainly I think it's a great idea to have an external hard drive and back up your data. To the external hard drive. But what if the worst happens? There's a fire, a flood, an earthquake, or a tsunami. There's somebody breaks in and steals your stuff. You've lost your data on the computer and your backup. Now what? Any good backup solution has to be, one, automatic, so you don't have to remember it. Should be backing up all the time, so you're always backed up. And two, it has to be off-site. It can't be right next to your computer. It should be somewhere far, far away. 
preferably the internet, where you always have access to it. That's what Carbonite does so well. You put the Carbonite software on your PC or Mac, and it starts backing up to the internet. It doesn't slow your system down or slow down your internet access. It just kind of does it in the background automatically. Once you've got a full backup, it keeps it backed up all the time. It uses encryption, so you don't have to worry about doing it at a, at, you know, at a coffee shop or anything. Anywhere you are, it's secure. You can even further encrypt it if you want ultimate privacy. The price is right, 15 cents a day for unlimited backup, all the data on your uh, internal hard drive. And the beauty part is you can get to that data anywhere from any computer. You just log on to your Carbonite account and there's your data. So it's, it's really uh, cloud storage as well as a backup solution. In fact, they even have an iPhone and a BlackBerry app, a bunch of smart apps. I think there's, I think there's now an Android app as well. So you can always get to your data. Love that. Try it free. 15 days. Use my name, Leo. Carbonite.com. If you decide to buy, use my name, Leo. Again, they'll extend that one-year subscription to 14 months free. $55 a year. It's a great deal. $55 for 14 months if you use my name, Leo. Carbonite.com. You got to back it up to get it back, so do it right with Carbonite. Matthew Rancho Cucamonga, California. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Matthew. Hey, Leo. Thank you for taking my call, first of all. Um, My pleasure. I have a problem with my computer. It's very, it's like three years old. It's slow. Um, I know I should get more RAM. I only have two gigs, but I don't know how to do anything. I, I want. I don't think two gigs is necessarily why it's slow. Okay. Uh, what version? What Windows op uh, version are you using? I have Vista. Okay, Vista's is kind of a pig anyway. Yeah. Um, but two gigs is enough for Vista. Okay. It, is it slower than it was when you got it? It's. It has its good days and its bad days. <laughs> the day of the time change, was last week or whatever, it was slow as molasses. And- really? So it comes and goes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, Windows 7 is much faster than Vista, so if you ever thought about upgrading, this might be a good time to do that. Okay. Well, l- l- let me ask about that. I-, I just got Carbonite, so all my documents and everything is ba- are backed up now. If I was going to install Windows 7... Could I format my hard drive? I could format my hard drive and then install it, but I've heard you talk about installing two different, making a partition, and I don't know how to do that, and having your documents on one side and having your OS and something else on the other. That's a really really good thing to do. It's not necessary, but I like to do that on all of my computers. The reason being, when you then install an operating system, you don't have to worry about your data. You can format the the drive and everything and then reinstall the operating system, and your data is still there. Okay. So... That you can do with the Windows installer. Okay. When you're looking at the disk, you'll you'll see there's an there's an additional button, advanced features, and you can actually delete. And I would do this: delete all the partitions, create new partitions. Uh, a fairly small one for Windows. Windows will fit in 25 gigs. <laughs> Hard to believe that's a, called a small partition. Uh, and then. And then uh, the, use the rest for data. And then that way, when you reinstall, the thing is, if you have a lot of apps, you might want to give more space to the Windows partition because you do want to install apps in the Windows partition. It's much much easier. Okay. Just keep your data separate. It, you know, will the wizard help me on this, or is there? Some- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all in the it's all it's very easy to do. Okay, so if I just buy Windows Seven disk, it'll have all this. In- Absolutely. It, it, during the install, it'll give you a chance to partition. Okay. It's great that you have a backup. Make sure your Carbonite backup is complete and also, you know, do a kind of sampling check-in, make sure you got everything you think. Because sometimes people think they've got it backed up and it's not, they didn't back up everything. And, you know, so you want to make sure. In fact, I'd still, if I were you, I'd, you got the Carbonite, I'd also get an external drive and backup to that. It's a laptop, right? Yeah, it's a laptop. Yeah, it's always a good idea. 
and more I, you can never have too many copies of your data. Okay. I have a spin right question about another laptop I have that crashed a couple of years ago. It has uh, work data on it that I might need to get off, and um, okay. it, it'll go to a black screen, and it won't get past that. And I took it to a guy, and he said that the motherboard is dead. Uh, can Spinrite help me with that? Possibly. So what you now would do is you get the – it's a laptop, so you're going to take the hard drive out if you can. And you're going to need to mount that hard drive on a PC. You're going to need some additional hardware because laptops have a different connection than PC hard drives. Okay. Um, that's why you bring it to a shop. A guy in a shop will have all those tools. He'll put it in a working PC, and chances are, if it's a dead motherboard, he'll be able to see the contents of the drive and copy it. Okay. If the drive is damaged, depending on the kind of damage, Spinrite, which is a, a program we've talked about before, my friend Steve Gibson uh, wrote it. It's a uh, it's a hard drive recovery tool, but it works at at the lowest level. It works at the sector level. So what it does is it, it tries to read every sector one by one on the hard drive. It doesn't care if there's data on it or not. It just tries to read and write it. If it can't, it will copy the data off of it and mark it unusable. And often, if there's just, a, you know, that's sufficient to kind of make the drive usable again. In in your case, I think you just want to get somebody to pull the data off of it. And a, and a good shop will have that capability. That's something that's something pretty standard. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Tech Guy 88 88 Ask Leo Just a few more minutes left in the show but don't don't worry you know the the, the, the party continues on our website techguylabs.com you'll see a link there to the chat room which is really 24/7 these days our twit network where we do live audio and video of technology coverage all week long twit.tv is the website for that and uh, of course, uh, the podcast versions of this show, audio and video, it's all there at techguylabs.com. Mark Costa Mesa, California, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello? Hey, Mark. Hey, Leo, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Leo, I have an old XP computer, and uh, I'm running uh, Microsoft Security Essentials. I think Very good program. I like it a lot. Uh, do you recommend running SpyBot malware? By no, no, no. At this point, no. Okay, so it shouldn't run any other... Uh, All, the, here's what happened. In the early days of spyware and adware, antivirus companies were a little careful about labeling them viruses. They thought it might be libelous. You don't want to call you know, some company that's putting adware on, you know, pop-up ads on your computer uh, malware... Well, nowadays, we all agree. If somebody's doing something to your computer, it's malware. And all the current malware programs, to some degree or other, protect you. They certainly do as well as SpyBot. Okay. And uh, another question. I'm having uh, my computer on occasion is just shutting off. Is that because uh, most likely because of an overheating problem? Usually when that's happening, it's exactly right. Okay. And, and what do you do about that? Just buy a new fan? <laughs> well, I would look. Yeah, I would look. Make sure all your fans are working, that they, the airflow is... is, is Work is it a desktop or laptop? Desktop. Yeah, I would open it up. Be careful. Power it down and unplug it. 
Mm-hmm. Open it up. Don't touch anything. But just look. If it's covered with dust, you know what sometimes happens after a couple of years? The interior is blanketed with dust. Well, of course it's overheating. So make sure it's clean, that there are the fans, all the fans are moving. You'll need to plug it in to do that. Just be careful. Right. Um, and uh, what's it off, Leo, just uh, forcing air or a vacuum cleaner? What, what do you recommend? You know, both have their problems. A vacuum cleaner can knock cables loose. Compressed air can blow dust uh, into another corner that you can't get it out of. So um, I would say um, probably um, be careful with a vacuum cleaner. Probably uh, a vacuum cleaner would be the best. They do make small vacuums designed for this kind of thing. Okay, like You can use compressed air if you're careful about it. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes you can just pick it up. Okay. All right, Leo, that was it. All right, and do, yeah, do not hose it down. <laughs> Somebody in the chat room said, hose it down. No, no water. Hey, I got to tell you, when we're talking about malware, and I do, you know, I do tell people uh, Microsoft's free solution is fine. In fact, if, if you're too cheap to buy an antivirus solution, by all means, at least use security uh, essentials. But I think it's worth 30 or 40 bucks a year to protect your computer for real, and that's where I think Nod32 from ESET is so great. Um, as an antivirus, it's absolutely superior to anything uh, free out there. In fact, it's better than any commercial program, in my opinion, for several reasons. First, it's very, very effective. Very, very effective. Uh, hasn't missed a virus in the wild, according to the virus bulletin. Now, you'll see tests where they do synthetic tests. They throw, you know, in the lab, throw viruses at a program. and Those are not real world. you got to see how well a virus does in real world situation over time. And I can tell you, having used Nod32 for 10 years myself, it's the best. It also doesn't slow you down. It's lightweight protection, and that's really important. This is not bloatware. This is just exactly what you need. You can try it for free. Go to ESET.com slash Leo or call 866-935-ESET. 866-935-ESET. Do tell them Leo sent you. They get a 30-day free trial, and there's a discount on that page too. So, you know. It's, it really is worth spending a little money. And yes, malware protection, you bet. The best protection money can buy. ESET.com slash Leo. If you use Windows, you need Nod32. See if we can get a couple more in here before I have to get out of town. Donald in Carpinteria, California. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Donald. Leo. You doing? I'm great. Thanks for calling. Okay, before we start, can I plug my show? What is your show? I'll talk into a podcast we've talked before, the anime podcast. And ah, yes. Got our iOS app approved in the App Store. Wow, that's cool. So what's the iOS app? It lets you watch the show or listen to the show? Um, lets you uh, view our Twitter feed. Uh, lets gives you information on how to contact us. Um, lets you read our blog posts, that sort of thing. Dude, it sounds like you own the Otaku space. I'm trying. That's awesome. I'm so I'm so happy for you, Donald. Otaku no podcast, O T A K U N O podcast.com. It's all things anime and manga, so if you're into that Japanese cartoon art form, uh, that's the show for you. Episode yesterday uh, uh recapping the the horrific, horrific events in Japan and I'm going to probably be putting that out on the feed later this afternoon. Oh, that's something to listen to. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. Do you have friends in Japan? We have friends in Japan. We have some listeners in Japan. Yeah. So right, I wanted to call today about the iPhone 4. I just got yeah. the Verizon iPhone 4, and I'm loving it. Good. 
I, I had a unique opportunity uh, a couple weeks ago. A friend of mine came down to visit who has the AT&T iPhone 4. And we kind of, you know, wander around various parts of Southern California. And every, consistently, everywhere we went, um, I, I got better signal. And I haven't had a single dropped call yet. Wow. Now, his data, when it... That's, that's saying something on an iPhone, I'll tell you. Yeah. Now, his data, when it worked, was faster than mine. But the CDMA isn't terribly flow it's okay you know so yeah and then you know data speeds vary so much depending on things that are not the phone's fault like how many other users there are on that cell tower it's very hard to get a consistent 3g uh, network and as far as i can tell i can't find any sort of antenna gate problem i mean i've tried i've tried holding the thing like five or six different ways and i've never tell you the truth on that this this your mileage really will vary depending on where you are uh, we I've seen Verizon iPhones that do have that issue, but it's in areas where Verizon's marginal. So the pr- the real problem, and this is why so many people disputed even that the antenna gate problem was real, is if you're in an area where you're getting a strong signal, you're not going to notice it. It's only in marginal areas. Now, that's one area Verizon does have a leg up, I think. They have better coverage, especially in the Southland. Southern California, better coverage than anybody else. So you you might be hard pressed to have problems with Verizon in Southern California, but then you go to other parts of the country and it's, and it's worse than AT and T. So that's why I say nowadays choose the carrier, then the phone. Right. I mean, I can you know uh, we have some Verizon iPhones in the studio, and I I hear plenty of people who have dropped calls in Verizon and so forth. So I'm not sure that it's the yeah you know, I, I I still think it's a combination of hardware and carrier. I don't think any either Apple or AT&T is to blame. But I'm glad you're getting better results on your Verizon iPhone. That's great. Very happy with it. Yeah, that's a good recommendation. The people here uh, in the where I am in Petaluma <laughs> say it's no better. They're dropping calls, they're having the same problems. So I you know, it's it's not it's not AT&T alone. It's not the iPhone alone. It's a little bit of both, I think. Well, Donald, thank you for calling. I appreciate the review. Uh, certainly, if you have a, if you live in an area where Verizon is a strong carrier, go for it. Absolutely, go for it. But I might point out that, that that while we have no inside information, I know nothing. I think it's a pretty good bet that there will be a new iPhone in a couple of months, and I think that you can pretty much guarantee it will have this new A5 chip, and it'll be faster. I don't think it'll be a bigger screen. Uh, I don't know what other new features will be on this, but I think that given, a- you know, Apple only slowly improves these things. I suspect that the next iPhone, which comes out in probably in June, will be a faster processor. I hope it will support new, the new 4G networks. That's the real, the real question. But Apple, remember, was very slow to even to get to 3G. The first iPhone didn't even do, didn't, did not even do 3G. They don't, they're not anxious to push out innovations very quickly. They like to dribble them out. That way they make more money. Hey, thank you for the call, Donald. OtakuNoPodcast.com is the place to go for his podcast. My website, TechGuyLabs.com. Visit that for all the show notes. James Rua, thanks for writing those all down. Thanks to Luis Oliveira on the board. Nice job, Luis. Uh, Gina Savati answering the phone calls today. Thanks to all of you for listening. We will continue on on the Twit Network after we go off the air on the radio. That's at TWIT.TV. Or I'm proud to say, if you Google the word Twit, 
I'm the number one result. <laughs> Easy to find. Just Google Twit and there I am. Thanks all for being here. Have a great Geek Week. We'll be back next week with lots more. And I certainly will have more to say about the uh, T-Mobile sale to AT&T. That's, a, that's probably the big story of the week, don't you think? Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next time. I am Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Have a great Geek Week.